Jesus uses the words, follow me, come, follow me, come be a disciple of Jesus. And so for this past fall, we have been going through a series looking at, okay, so what does it mean to be a disciple, a learner, a follower of of Jesus? And so as a staff, we've worked this through and we've kind of condensed it into four steps. And you see the four banners up here, you know, create community experience and model Jesus' love, train one another in obedience. And we've been taking three weeks on each of those, and and today is the start of the fourth uh, step, to serve others and to proclaim the gospel. And so in the coming weeks, uh, in the next two weeks, this week and then two more, uh, we'll be looking at uh, at this one. Uh, Today, uh, my responsibility is is rather easy, uh, in that I have to focus only on one word, the gospel. That was two. Gospel. That's better. So the question that we're answering today is, what is the gospel? Literally, the word gospel means good news. Translated from the original language, it means good news. It was a word that was declared or proclaimed whenever a new king was born, whenever a new king was put on the throne, the Caesar of the day was was crowned, And someone would declare, good news! This is good news! They were living in a society where church and state were together, as opposed to, like, don't picture, like, a prime minister or something like that. This was an all-ruling person who believed, typically, that they were a god. They ran the religion, they ran the government, they ran everything. And it was declared that, okay, this person is good news. He runs everything. The Caesar of the day. The benevolent or not so benevolent dictator. Jesus flips this and says, nah, the good news is me, basically. I have come to bring good news. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John... The first four books of the New Testament in the Bible, the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the gospels, the good news of these four writers declaring who Jesus is, and that it actually isn't the Caesar of the day that is ruling things, that Jesus is actually Lord of everything, and that is good news. So, We're going to end up talking about good news, and we're going to start here by just looking at some current news, just to get us slowly warmed up into this, and we're going to end up deciding whether or not something is good news or bad news. So, uh, number one, the Thai soccer team is rescued from an underground cave. Is it good news? Is it bad news? Okay, that was an easy one, right? That's just to warm you up. Okay, second one. The Patriots defeat the Packers. It's been a week. We can talk about it here, people. Is that good news? Is that bad news? I knew I could... uh, We had a few other uh, louder, more vocal fans. That's that's football. For those of you who have no clue what we're talking about. Okay. Uh, Third one. Downtown Saskatoon Arena should be considered. We're getting a little political here. Is that good news? Is that bad news? Yeah, kind of split. We'll let the we'll let city council know where we come out on that one. Okay, uh, next one. 
Cleros is listed as a starter for the West semifinal. Is that good news? Is that bad news? False, fake news. <laughs> that, that's football again, people. Sorry, it was hard to come up with this in a short period of time. I'm sorry for those of you who aren't football people. Uh, one more. Uh, Pastor Bruce goes hipster by growing a mustache. Is that good news? Is that bad news? I'm sure Lisa would kind of think that and others. That one's not real news. That one is fake news. Uh, we only wish that some of those things would happen. Anyways, we try here. As we talk about uh, good news, we talk about these, these things that I listed here. These are actual certifiable facts, with the exception of maybe Pastor Bruce, that, uh, um, that we can verify as being true. There's eyewitnesses of, of the various events. There's people that record it and document it and say, this is actually news. Whether it's good or bad is more up to the, the context of what we live in, whether we're a Packers fan or a Patriots fan or whether we're pro-arena downtown or not. It depends on, on whether that's good news or not. We're going to be talking about what is, what is good news uh, here today. So the Apostle Paul, when he ends up recording what happens 2,000 years ago, he, used, he, he describes it in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. So this is what he says. For what I received I passed on to you is of first importance, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he had appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, even though some have fallen asleep. What Paul's saying here is that this is a real fact, that the gospel, that the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus is actually a certifiable fact that we have eyewitnesses of. It's like Paul breaks in to the, to the, uh, the believers in Corinth, and he says, hey, I got breaking news for you. This just in, a Jewish man named Jesus was given the death sentence by Roman, Pilate, Roman governor Pilate, who was nailed he was nailed to a cross, the Roman form of execution. This man, Jesus, died. His, his body was taken down from the cross and placed in a tomb. And then, folks, this is where the story takes an incredible turn. The man, Jesus, rose from the dead. This is a real story with real eyewitnesses that can be trusted. So if this is a true story, which it is, that you can go back in history and see that this actually took place in physical time and space, we need to ask the question, why, according to our context, why is this good news? Why do we, There's different opinions on this. What makes this good news that we proclaim here today? Another way of saying it is, why did Jesus die? Why? How can a person dying be good news? Why is it Good Friday, the day that Jesus died? In order to get there, we're going to need to understand the word sin. Not the most popular word in our, in our society, in our culture today. Um, but if we take it back to the way that uh, it was originally described, it's an archery term. I'm going to need some help here. James, come on up here. James is going to be speaking with me here in a minute. And I love throwing darts at people. I mean, at dartboards. So, 
We don't have, we're not going to, I'm not going to shoot a bow and arrow at James here, but the term is an archery term that meant you missed the mark. So when someone is an archer and they're shooting, their responsibility is to hit the bullseye every single time. Okay? Watch out, that's Tyler's guitar back there, man. It's a nice shot. I missed the bullseye. I hit the target. I'm kind of glad. <laughs> okay? Your responsibility as an archer is to hit the bullseye every single time. And yet, if you miss the bullseye, it is a term called sin, which means missing the mark. So, I almost got it. Man. Sin means that you've missed the mark. When God, being perfect, being holy, says that to be in relationship with him means that you need to hit the mark every single time. And if you miss it, it's sin. That's what we're talking about here. And that's each one of us. When we look at the Ten Commandments, God says, these are the things that you need to follow. This is the way it is to be the commands that I have laid out for you. And if you miss, you're a sinner. Okay, just hold on a minute. Okay. Like, I think most of us here would consider ourselves good people. I consider myself a good person. Okay. So what, what I hear you saying is that I'm actually a sinner. Is that well, right? Let's ask a question. Have you broken one of the Ten Commandments? Um, I don't think so. Okay. So, James, have you lied? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Okay. I have. So what does that make you? I'm not a liar. Okay. You're not a liar. I'm not a liar. Okay. So um, let's just go down the list here. Um, have you disobeyed your parents? Uh, yeah, on occasion. Yeah. So... You've lied, you've disobeyed. What does that make you? Listen, I'm, I am not a sinner. I'm not a sinner. You've lied. You've dishonored your parents. What does that make you, James? Well, I, I, guess, by God's, I guess by God's standard, I guess I'm a sinner. Sin is not the most popular topic. I've asked James to come up and talk to us about what is the good news? Why did Jesus have to die? What does sin have to do with it? Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2 says this. As for you, you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So something that we have to understand is that the seriousness of a lie increases with the importance and the dignity of the one to whom we are lying. 
So I used to, when my eldest daughter was around two or three years old, we lived in the Lower Mainland, and I would take her walking at Aldergrove Lake Regional Park, and there was a two to three kilometer loop through the bush that we would walk. It was beautiful, but there were a few spots along this trail where it really narrowed down, and the trees kind of closed in, and they, were, they kind of created a canopy, and it got dark, and there was like this fuzzy black moss that hung off of the trees, and it was a bit swampy, and it was creepy. And invariably, whenever we got to these points on the trail, Brianna would kind of look up just to make sure I was still there, not realizing that the stroller would not be moving if I was not there, if I was not with her. And sometimes we forget as we're going through life that God is actually with us. And if He was not with us, we would not be alive. It is in God that you live and move and have your being. You are here because God is. And so when I am lying, when I am disobeying my parents, I am insulting the maker and creator and sustainer of the universe who has actually given us these commands to follow. That increases the seriousness of my sin. Because I'm sinning against the one who is worthy of all glory and honor and praise and worship and I am dishonoring Him. The word transgression means to go beyond limits set or prescribed. And so when you transgress, you've actually acted on this. You've acted in a way, you've had an experience of going beyond the limits set or prescribed by you, in this case by a loving God who loves you and gives you these Ten, ten Commandments because He knows how He's made you and how you need to live to find life. He's created all of us to know Him, to be loved by Him, to worship Him. And the heart of sin is to cross that line between the creature and the Creator. And say, God, I don't really care what you say. And I'm going to cross over this line, and I'm going to become like God in my life. And we go right back to the original sin in the garden. And Satan tempts Adam and Eve, saying, you know what, you know what? does God really have your best interests at heart? Did he really say you should not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Why did he tell you that? Is he holding something back from you? You know what? You can actually find life apart from him. You can actually take life into your own hands and find life on your own. And we have the same spirit. We have the same tendency within us. It's called sin. And Ephesians 2 says that when we're sinning, we're actually 
following the ways of this world. Like it's not just, okay, I lied. You're actually following a system of thought that permeates the hearts and minds of people in this world. Of how to find life apart from God. And we can so easily believe the lie that life is like a playground. And the ultimate goal for all of us is to be happy. And if God is anything at all, He's like this cosmic vending machine that is simply here to ensure that we are happy and that we are fulfilled. The truth is, God does want to bring to us fulfillment. And He wants to bring us joy and He wants to bring us peace and He wants to bring us life and He wants us to find pleasure. But He wants us to find it in the only place that we can and that is in an intimate relationship with Him. And the world wants us to find it in every other way but Him. And when we sin, that's what we're doing. We're just following the ways of the world. We're just living like everybody else. When we sin, we're not only following the ways of the world, we're following the one who created the ways of the world. Where do you think that comes from? Because you're actually following the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He's talking about Satan, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. Who do you think comes up with these systems of thought, these ideas that keep people from ever actually experiencing the living God and ever finding true life in Him? Where does that come from? Who comes up with these complex ideas that actually really have some truth to them but lead us to despair and to death and more separation from God? So now when we're sinning, not only are we sinning against the God who loves us, the God who is infinitely worthy of our praise, we're actually saying, I'm not going to side with God. I'm going to side with the evil one. I'm going to do what He desires me to do. See, there's no middle ground. Who is it that has these ideas you can find life apart from God? Where does that come from? So sin is not a trivial thing. Sin deeply offends the heart of God. He cannot be a just holy, righteous God and not punish sin. He cannot. He would cease to be who He is. So that's why Paul writes Ephesians 2 verse 3. He says all of us lived among them at one time. People who lived like this. All of us lived like that gratifying the desires of our sinful nature. And like them, here it is, we were by our very nature object of, objects of God's wrath. In other words, He could not respond to us in any other way. Yes, He loves us. He made us. He created us. We're His children. And yet, we are refusing to come to Him. We're treating Him as if He does not even exist. We ignore Him. We forget about Him. We dishonor Him. He must punish this sin. Or He is not just, 
and he is not holy, and he is not righteous, and he's not actually worthy of our worship. That was our condition. That's the place that we were in. The place that many people are still in. Worthy of his punishment. Worthy of his wrath. Go ahead, Kevin. Why don't you... I could keep going. But let's just... Why don't you read Ephesians 2 verses 4 to 5. Ephesians 2. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. So, so, so something you have to understand is that, yes, the gospel was a physical event. There was an actual cross. Jesus had an actual body. He died. He was a human that died. It was, a, it was an event that was talked about. It was an actual news event. But Satan will do everything he can to dull our minds to the actual truth of what was happening. He will try to do everything he can to keep us from pure devotion to Christ that comes when we fully understand what he did. And he wants to keep us from believing that this gospel is actually still relevant today and urgently needed for every boy and girl and man and woman. He wants us to think this is truly is outdated. Because listen, he hates you and he hates the fact that God has provided a way to set you free and to actually find life. And so, the best way to refute the enemy and the evil one and to bring revelation again to what Jesus did is to use Scripture. What does Scripture tell us that Jesus did on the cross? Keep going. Colossians 2, verses 13 to 15. You were dead because of your sins. That's what we've been talking about. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive. You were dead in your sin. In other words, you could not change. Okay? So not only did you sin, you actually loved your sin. And you wanted to sin. And you did not want to change. You did not choose God. You could not choose Him. He chose you. He chose me, not because I did anything to deserve it. I did nothing to deserve it. But He chose me. He chose you. Then God made you alive with Christ, for He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, and He took it away by nailing it to the cross. 
And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Again, this is Satan. He disarmed them. And he he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Powerful. Ephesians 1, verses 7 to 8. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. You see what Jesus did? And Jesus, before he took on a physical body, Jesus was spirit. In other words, Jesus could not die. So Jesus took on a human body so that he could actually die a human death. So that he could actually take that penalty upon himself. And that's where Hebrews, if you bring up the Hebrews passage, Hebrews 12, verses 14 and 15, it says, since the children have flesh and blood, that's us, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So as we look at uh, this question of what is the good news, most of what James has been talking about is, is the bad news, that we're separated from God. We're sinners. It was, it was Christ that had to die on the cross. There's this fabulous line that comes through Ephesians, it comes through Acts chapter 2 as well. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. We have the cross, the man Jesus dying on the cross to satisfy the, the, the wrath of God for us. He's buried in a tomb. But God, it can't hold him back. Death can't hold him down. 1 Corinthians 15, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So if we go right back to Genesis chapter uh, 1 and 2, God in perfect relationship with humankind. Fabulous relationship. And sin enters in, and all of a sudden, the relationship between God and humanity is closed. Like a door. The relationship is is blocked. We're on one side, God is on the other. Sin has entered. We are separated from God. How do we get back through the door? There has to be a perfect human who is willing to die, take all the wrath, take all the punishment on himself, and yet still have the power to break through the door. Who could that be? Jesus. The resurrected Jesus, in his resurrection, bursts through the door... 
This is Pastor Brad's door, so I don't want to break it, but uh, if it wasn't, I would smash the door right down so it couldn't be closed again, but we had a second service, so we had to shut it again. But the door gets smashed down so that there is this relationship that is a free-flowing between us and God, that we can be restored to perfect relationship with God by faith. very little simple illustration I want to use. And it's just to start talking about what should our response be. How then should we live? And sometimes the best way to start to understand how to live is to understand that we will also one day die and to understand the context spiritually in which we live and this rope can demonstrate eternal life God has made every one of us to live forever we have souls that will not die that one day we will step into eternity this little black strip at the top is meant to illustrate how brief a period of time our souls are going to spend in our body compared to eternity. And yet, listen, we have an opportunity in this life to live for Jesus. To honor and glorify Him. On the other side, you no longer have the choice. don't have a choice we still have a free will which will not be there when we leave this body it's a gift god has given us free will and paul writes in second corinthians 5 verse 15 talking about jesus he says he died for all every one of us that those who live in other words that those who are still in their body that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. One of the reasons Jesus died is that you would see what an incredible God we have. That Jesus would actually go to a cross and die for us. Because he wants us to actually see him for who he is and to savor him as infinitely valuable. And he wants, us to, he wants to draw us to himself and away from the pleasures of this world that only poison our soul, that we might actually find pleasure in him. That while we're yet in this body, we experience an intimate, personal relationship with the creator of this universe through Jesus Christ, which gives us the greatest pleasure you can ever know. That's what he longs for us in this life. And then when we step into eternity forevermore. And so, 
It's interesting, the very first words Jesus ever spoke in his public ministry was Mark, recorded in Mark 1, verse 15. You would have had all eternity to think of his first words. His first words were simply this. He said, repent and believe the good news. Believe the good news. In believing the good news, we have life. Not just eternal life, not just, eternal life, but also life here and now. And Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father unless they accept my path through the door to a relationship with God. There's not multiple ways. There's not multiple truths. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Jesus in Matthew 7, 14 says, But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The good news of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, Restoring our relationship with God comes by faith. God took the initiative. It's by his grace. Our response is to receive it. Our response is to repent and believe the good news. We're going to uh, continue to sing and worship this God who's willing to die for us. So come on up, Ty. And as we sing... And as we reflect on what God has done for us, the door is open. Sometimes we need a physical response. Sometimes we just need to be, whether it's your first time hearing it and go, yeah, for the first time I get who God is and what he wants for me. And I'm going to symbolically walk through the door into a relationship with God. The door's open. Come on up. Walk right through. Many of you have accepted Christ for a long time, you've known this, this gospel isn't new, and yet hearing it again, there's a conviction that that's what I, I need in my life here and now. There's been a block between me and God. I need to stop living this way, the ways of this world, and I need to go back into a relationship with God. The door's open for you too. Come and walk through. For your first time, for your 50th time, of believing, of repenting, and believing the good news. That's what Jesus calls every single one of us to. So as we sing, let's lift up the name of Jesus, the one who died on the cross, the one who defeated sin and death, and come, walk through the door into eternal life with God. Amen.